Hello and welcome to Canine Hooper's World, the podcast. A whole new world of fun. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 12 of Canine Hoops World, the podcast. I'm very, very excited today because the guest I have today, I met um, last year on one of the last in-person instructor courses we were allowed to do before the world went crazy. It was like literally a couple of weeks before lockdown happened and everything. Um, and I, I veiled to the north, off I went and I stayed with this amazing trainer who is not only amazing trainer but also an amazing cook I will just say because the homemade pizza was amazing um Martina how are you my dear hello I'm very good thank you good um so if people haven't guessed already from your accent and me saying that you make amazing pizza you are originally Italian well you are Italian you now live in the UK yeah, yeah, I'm Italian passport, Italian passport and everything. I've been living in the UK for nearly. So when you, what made you come over to the UK originally? Were you kind of decided, right, I'm going to go to England or was it for competition or what made you leave the beautifulness of Italy and come over to the UK? Okay, so first thing I have to say that I've been coming here for holidays since I was very little because my dad um, was and he still is um, a big fan of the UK and Ireland, so both islands. And we did from home, so from Milan to Scotland, from Milan to Ireland with car with a car when I was young. Um, so we came many, many times to do to London and other you know, weekends away. So I grew up with this kind of myth of the UK. <laughs> um, I love, yeah, I love Brit's pop. Um, of course, I love Border Collies and, you know, everything in the UK, it was just everything that I liked, everything that I loved. So when I decided that I had to change my life because I wasn't enjoying my life in Milan anymore, I was a dog walker and I was trying to be a dog trainer but I just felt that I didn't want to live in a city anymore I just needed the countryside around me and everything I had two choices uh, move to another county in Italy another region in Italy or move abroad and I decided because I'm crazy I decided to go for the abroad um, so yeah so I just I just looked for a farm that would have me uh, in exchange of food with food, for food and board with my two colleagues um, and I started like that and then I found the job and I understood how the market was going around here before I started working. So I did a lot of shadowing other trainers, um, learning the language better. I knew the language, but I didn't know how to teach other people in, the, in English. Mm-hmm. That's something I had to learn, you know, all the terms, all the terminology. Yes. Everything. So, yeah. But then I was thrown into teaching quite soon. I arrived in August and in November I had my first classes. Wow, okay, so, so not long at all yeah. to kind of brush up your English. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you brought um two colleagues over with you? Yeah, Abigail and Moss. Well, uh, and I had the privilege of meeting Abigail. What an absolute sweetheart. And she's yeah. over the bridge now, but she was an absolute poppet. Yeah. She was, she was just yeah. lovely. Um, were they both working sheep dogs or no, Abigail was my first 
bought a collie, so she died last last February, just after you met her um, at 15. So when I decided to get Abigail, and I got Abigail because I used to see collies when I cared, when, when I used to come for holidays, and I remember seeing them working on the hills, you know, stopping with the car and just working, seeing these dogs working and moving sheep. My dad took me to some um, stock market as well while we were here holidays, so I would see this dog helping moving the stock around. Um, so I, I knew I wanted a collie, and I wanted a typical black and white long-coated collie. Um, and so she arrived from just an advert that I saw, or you know, on a website in Italy. Um, I then kept in touch with the breeder that became actually a good breeder of working dogs. But at the time, she bred her two collies, and they were both show collies, one from Australia and one from the UK. Um, so she arrived, I didn't know really about the difference, the big difference, I read about it, but I didn't know about working collies and show collies as much. Uh, so I didn't know that she wasn't actually bred to work sheep. And she did work for me sometimes, but it wasn't her thing. Me and her learned to do competitive obedience because that was better for her, that was suited for a kind of, you know, breeding and an attitude. She just wanted to do for me and she loved obedience. Mm -hmm. um, and then when uh, five years later, when it was time for me to get another dog, then at that point I was more knowledgeable and I definitely wanted a working collie. And that's how Moss arrived. And it was bred from a friend of mine, my friend, my friend bred a bitch that I knew very, very well uh, and picked a Welsh stud dog. So she came over to Wales to do the, the meeting, the, mate, the mating. And um, I wanted a dog like Moss and I got a dog like Moss. <laughs> Because he's a he was my first lovely. working. He's a good lad. He's a good boy. So straight away, people are going to be going hard. There's working collies and there's show collies and there's because now, am I right in thinking there's now also kind of sport collies as well? Mm -hmm. There's like three types of collies. It's getting a bit like the German shepherds. There's lots of different types of collies. So yeah. obviously that the work ethic of the dog is going to be slightly different. As you said, Abigail was more suited to obedience style training rather than being in a muddy field full of sheep and working away from you. Um, what's the kind of difference with, with the working and the sport lines and kind of where collies are now going today? So um, the show lines, first of all, the, the real border collie first standard for the border collies was actually created, if I'm not wrong, in Australia or New Zealand, so quite far away from here. Um, the show lines are bred just as, as any show line for morphology, for, you know, for physical looking, so they need to be um full of coat they need to be you know they need to be a they need to be all the same for example so they've been bred to actually look in a certain way pretty much all the same while the corking collies are bred for abilities and every line every part of the country has different lines and different attribute that collies are bred you know like the hills collies are one way the lowland collies are one way in ireland they are completely different again um you know in, in wales they they're bred depending on the um on the land they're working on but also each individual handler and, and shepherd has their own uh, preferences so they will breed their own lines they will carry on their own lines they have very very different temperaments different style of working different physical attributes um, some people want them lighter some people want them stronger because they, they if they're bigger they can stand up to sheep that are a bit stronger mm -hmm. so the great thing about working collies is that you need to know what you're looking for because they're not all the same 
Um, and I have two dogs that are related. They are pretty much similar in the way they work sheep, but then they come from other lines. And you can see the difference in the temperament with the other lines coming in. And then now I have a third collie and he's, um, he is a completely different line again. And I wanted a different line. And his physic, physicality, everything is different. So because there is bred to do, is bred from other lines and other shepherds that wanted to see different dogs and wanted different kind of working abilities. And then the sports, yes, you, said, you mentioned about the sport dogs. Um, agility and obedience both are breeding dogs for sport so they need to be flexible they need to be light uh, they need to have you know yeah mainly flexibility and lightness but they need to be also easy to train mm -hmm. so not too strong as well and i think that's a big difference from the working do dogs the working dogs are easy to train but they're quite strong dogs mm -hmm. most of them or a lot of them well, I find that the sport lines have been bred to be a bit softer because they don't need to have that kind of, you know, being able to stand up to sheep or being able to stand up to cows and everything. So they're a bit, a bit sometimes softer and a bit different. I find that you can see now, if you go around where, you know, breeders that breed working dogs, you'll find, um, sport dogs, you'll find that they have a specific look now. Mm -hmm. They all look quite the same. And I think as well, like when you're saying kind of with the dogs being a bit more biddable, it makes sense because the job of a sport collie is very different to the job of a working collie. A working collie needs to be out miles and miles and go and collect the shit. And this is one thing I want to touch on because border collies heard German shepherds drove. And a lot of mm -hmm. people don't understand that it's different. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the way that, well, I'm going to let you explain it because you understand this far better than I do. Um, but we kind of got, oh, it's a herding breed, but actually it's only collies that truly herd. Yes. So the collies and the, and the, and the kelpies. So the kelpies are similar to the collies in the way they work, in the way they move. So the collies and the kelpies are the only two, and some of the birdies as well, but they are birdies that are mixed with collies, are the only two type of dogs that um, move the sheep with their eyes. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, the, it's their eyes and is their body language that actually moves like the wolf would move in nature, so head down, crouch, crouch down. Mm -hmm. They are the only one that will... Um, you know, will move the sheep that way. So they will control in a very smooth way and they will definitely push and they will definitely use pressure of the body pressure and eye pressure while the other breeds, they all push, you know, move from one place to the other. Yeah, yeah? so they, they drive, as you say, drive. So drive instead of collecting. Yeah. Um, so if I, in the past was calling collecting style, I think, and, and driving. So there are some breeds, I'm thinking old breeds in the UK that are drivers. Mm -hmm. um uh, but yeah so the, the, the they one drive and move the sheep from one place or the cattle from one place to the other and the other one collects and 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 moves in a different way so moves with the eye and the body language mm -hmm. they don't bark for example they shouldn't bark anyway while other breeds have the barking in them that's very interesting because <laughs> when you go to places like crafts you always know when like well, basically, you know where the sports collies are and the kelpies because they're blooming noisy. 
I know. I think yeah, you're right. So when they're working, when they do a, when they do sport, they are quite barky. Mm. But when they work sheep, they shouldn't bark. Um, an old shepherd will tell you that they should have the head low. Um, sorry, the the tail very low, and they shouldn't bark. So, um, a, a collie that the bark at sheep is actually not considered a collie, or you know, it's not is not taken into consideration. Um, to work. Now in the UK, there are a lot of crosses with hunterways, for example, mm -hmm. because they need a dog that barks mm -hmm. and they are the hunterway to the collies and the kelpies to actually create the bark with the same type of work mm -hmm. of a collie. But yeah, collie shouldn't bark. And that's, it, 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 it's true. You know, when they do sport, they actually get very excitable and they bark a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting because when you watch them working yeah. sheep, as you say, they're silent. There's they're not barking, they're not yipping, it is just that pressure. And I think it's sometimes why when, especially people go out and get a collie puppy and especially ones that go to a farm and go and buy a little farm puppy and isn't it cute? And then they bring it into the urban environment. And I mean, I've met a few of those collies that they see another dog and they just flat and stare. And other dogs, some really don't appreciate being stared at like that. And it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. And I noticed with um, like one of Dodge's best friends is a collie. And when they okay. play, even though they're kind of herding each other, the style is very different between the two of them. When the girl is chasing him, she's very much the pressure. Whereas he does that to her. She turns around and goes, oh, excuse you? No. <laughs> and his... Even just the way they move, although they kind of have similar jobs, you can see the differences between the two styles of even how they're playing, just from what they've naturally been bred from. But you've set up the most amazing Facebook group called Brilliant Borders, which I'm obsessed with and what you've done is great. And anyone that's listening that has a Border Collie or has a friend that has a Border Collie, get them to join this group because it explains how you can kind of live with a collie in the urban environment because most people that have collies aren't they're either getting them as a sports dog so they're going to work them in a sport or they're going to be a pet and a border collie is a pet I grew up with them I had collies as pets but mine got walked four times a day <laughs> yeah yeah and he did have some quirks <laughs> we'll call them quirks um but when I look back like I think the collies from when I was I was growing up are different to the collies we have now um but mm -hmm, definitely had a lot more kind of outlets you know my my dad would walk him in the morning he would go at lunchtime I'd come in from school and walking with the neighbor's dogs and then dad would walk him in the evening as well so he literally had three four walks a day most people don't have time to walk their dog mm -hmm. four times a day. I know I don't have time to walk my dogs four times a day anymore. You know, that's not a thing. So Brilliant Borders is great because you give people lots of different ideas, but also you explain why some of the things that happen with collies are happening. The, the one that comes straight away to mind is car chasing or mm -hmm. chasing yep. and joggers. Why does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and that's the main you know that's that's the main thing I work on at the moment so I decided to specialize 
And a year ago, well, a little bit less than a year this, you know, don't you actually try and do a program just for, for colleagues that chase things? And I was like, mm, no, I, I don't, I'm not sure. And then in the months that followed that conversation, I actually started to see that there were more and more. I started to go on and that was what I suggested to do. You know, both of us work with the business coach. So we know they, they tell you go and, you know, go in groups and see what people need, you know, see, you know, uh, ask question or just put. And I, I was I was looking at these groups and the biggest question was my dog is herding cars. My dog is herding bikes and, uh, and joggers and and other things. And I don't know how to stop it. And the thing that that is like very, you know, they start very young. Why do they start very young? Well, four generations to do one thing. And he is running and rounding up something that moves very fast, like a sheep, mm-hmm. stopping it will adjust their body language. If you think that, you know, one collie can stop a big flock. So with just yeah. one collie, you stop a big flock. So the power they have in that stopping is quite big. Yeah, and in some lines is even bigger than in others. And then with just the eye and the body language, they will fetch those sheep back to the handler, okay? Some will maybe use the mouth every now and then, but that's not the point. The point is that they're bred to have this strong instinct. So you let go of the puppy the first time. Might not be the first time you let them go with the sheep. It might be the second or the third, but then when they clicks, it clicks and they just know what they're doing. Yeah? They run around, they go for the head, Move them. My dogs have. We'll see what Tay does, but I have a pretty good feeling that they will do that. So they'll go for the head. They'll look for the head of the sheep. So they're looking for the eye contact mm-hmm. to move them away and move them back. So it, it is quite a strong. I always say that collies are. Um, they are OCD dogs, yeah, with control freak attitude. So they, they, you know, they're bred to be OCDs and they have a great control freak attitude. And those are the two main things that a person that is thinking about getting a collie should know. You're not going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. They like to control and they like, and, and they're OCD. So when they find a behavior rewarding, they'll use it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And once that behavior is triggered, it's really hard to stop unless you really work hard on it. Yeah, yeah. So I remember like growing up with um, Mac, our boy, he was a beautiful little tricolored lad. He wasn't little, actually, he was quite tall. Um, He was Welsh bred. And um, where we used to walk, there was, and it was fully secure, but there was a train track next to where we walked. And if you timed it right, he would get two fast trains and a slow train to chase up and down this field. And do you know Mm -hmm. what he... That was like the highlight of his day. He would like chase the train, chase that train, chase back, come back, play a bit of foolie, and then he'd go back to the car and be like, I'm done now. I've had enough. <laughs> and I think like inadvertently, we sort of gave him an outlet for that need to herd stuff. I mean, you know, God, do not let a collie near a train track. Nope. Track. <laughs> do not do that. But where we were and the setup we had that kind of work but I sort of look back and think that may actually have been a problem behavior but we just didn't see it yes. as a problem <laughs> yeah 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 true true nowadays it would horrify me if someone <laughs> comes to me and say we let the college chase the train oh I'm talking <sighs> about 15 so years ago. I know yeah I know 
Um, but yes, so so yeah, so they do that for that reason. You know, the prey drive is so is is so engraved in their DNA that if you don't let them have an outlet of that prey drive, then they all go. And there is another good trainer that I always, when I say this, I have to mention her, Sarah Hadley, Hadley she's out in Devon. She says that they go self-employed. If you don't give them something to do, they'll go self-employed. <laughs> so they will. Um, and that's perfect for me. That's why I have to quote her because it's yeah. perfect. You know, they'll find a way to get the prey drive out of their system. Yes. And even if the prey drive doesn't end, as they wanted to the prey action because they can't actually round that car up and bring it back yeah they use their eyes because the the prey the you know the the the, the section the, the the chain of behavior starts when they see a car coming and they go into a stalking mode then into a crouch mode then they wait for it to be close enough to then stop and you know stand up and, and try to stop it that's what tay does for example with my other dogs mm-hmm. he's exactly like that he will look at them go into a stalking mode and then lie down or go very close to the floor waiting for them to come close and then he stops them yes yeah yes. that's exactly what this police do with cars bikes and everything now why my dogs don't do it because first i never allow it to happen and second i give them the outlet to do it on other things so mm-hmm. i do it with toys I I eventually take them to sheep they of course play with each other I think I'm very lucky that I have other dogs yes. collies play with other collies exactly in the OCD way they stalk each other so they have all these little kind of yeah. things so one is talking one and the other one is talking both and they have this kind of all together play that that fake a bit the the working kind of yeah. you know behavior so so yeah, I you know, and, and then the other thing that I find that is really concerning is that most of these dogs that come to me because they have chasing problems, they're never let off lead to actually exercise properly. And, you know, and be- why? Because, you know, that they never be trained, then they, they don't go to a trainer that helps them. And maybe the place they live is not safe for them to be off lead right. um, with cars going on around. So they really don't get exercise in the proper way and enough. So they find themselves ways to to get that prey drive out of their system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, because one thing that I think people underestimate with with the collies is that they are bred to work from sunrise to sunset. This is not like an, let's go out, chase some sheep for half an hour and come back in. Mm -hmm. This is that they were originally bred to be out working for the whole day so making sure you give them alternative outlets and as you say not practicing because when a puppy shows these little collie behaviors and as soon as you said that whole doubt like almost a down where they're about to kind of do the pounce stop thing dodge used to do that to munch as a puppy all the time and i'd be like do not do that to your sister it's one of the things i've been kind of strict with him with because i know a lot of dogs don't appreciate that style of play um it's it's why one of his friends is a collie because they understand the game of each other but i think finding suitable outlets for people in an urban environment that have got collies like you must get as well like oh that they've um they've become aggressive they're biting at me or they're biting at the kids frustration yeah, so the fact that they can't actually exercise enough and they can't even finish that prey section, you know, um, 
prey behavior, they definitely get very frustrated. And, you know, yes, as you said, you know, nowadays, for example, the collies are still used all day for work in a way that they will go gathering and they will stay out all day. They, when they're lambing, they have to move use with lambs that they're very nasty and they have to work hard all day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- these are probably the two biggest time of the year when they work a lot. Yeah. But in the past, and we're talking about 100 years ago so that in the breed is not that long ago no not even hundreds i'm sorry i'm I'm talking about 60 years ago um i've had the you know i was lucky enough to be in contact with a shepherd that is not alive anymore but when i did the lambing with him he was 85 and he was telling me that he's he was born in a farm on the on the highland somewhere and in scotland and at his time so he would be probably around 9,500 now if he was still alive. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 60, 80 years ago. The collies were actually holding the sheep for a whole day. So there were not that many fences. There were not that many sheds. He would move a flock from one place to the other and he would leave the dog to guard for the sheep while he would go in and have a brew. Wow. So the collies will stay out there and actually control the sheep on their own because they knew that their their shepherd was it somewhere and they had to hold those sheep. So can you imagine the kind of stamina that those dogs have to have in the highlands of Scotland? And we're not talking about that long ago. So you- Well, I mean, anyone that's ever had to look after more than one child at once can probably appreciate the, the thought of trying to keep everything contained together. So yeah, a whole flock of sheep and you've got to keep them in that one place and you don't even have a fence to help you. Like that's very intense, like mental stamina as well as physical. So this is where like, because we all know that collies are one of the brightest. Sorry, there was a slight technical hitch there, guys. We are back. I know carrying on so yeah talking about kind of the mental stamina we all know that collies are super intelligent but the reason they need to be intelligent is because having the it's a responsibility really of looking after all those sheep you need a dog that is going to listen to the shepherd but also is capable of independent thinking and isn't yes. a robot. And we know dogs aren't robots, but that's why collies will go self-employed if they feel like they're not being guided correctly. You know, if they're not being taught how to do things and shown the way that the the handler would like things to be done, the collie's going to go, do you know what? I'll, I'll do it myself. It's fine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's exactly what they do. They do, and you can see that on sheep, for example. You know, I I find that I couldn't understand collies as much as I do if I wasn't working them on sheep. Mm-hmm. And I think that that what makes me decide. Okay, you know what? I'm going to specialize because how many trainers out there actually train their dog on sheep as well as having them in pets as well as a, you know, doing sports. So I find that I understand really what you're meaning now because you can tell the face of your dog when he's like. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Let me do my own things because are you qualified? These... Are you qualified for this? Yeah. <laughs> like I know what I'm doing. I know I should stop them. I know I should push them. I know I should do this and should do that. And they really look at you with pity, like to say, "Come on, woman, you know, sort yourself out." I, you know, my DNA is telling me to do this. Yeah. So definitely, yeah. 
And then, you know, again, they're all different and at the end of the day, some will be more biddable and some will be, um, you know, following you and actually trusting you and some will be like, no, I'm definitely more independent. And that again goes with the lines. Some lines are being bred to do something more than others. So on the heels of Scotland, definitely you need a dog that can work on their own. They mm-hmm. need to be able to go up there and, and, and gather and, and be independent in a way they go out and they find their sheep and they push them and they make sure that they're all coming down and there's no none left i remember we were gathering from a field and i remember that one of the dogs wasn't coming back so they were gathering with three dogs together one of the dogs wasn't coming back and he's like why is not coming back he called him he called him why is not coming back normally you come mm-hmm. back so no problem so we went back with a quad and there was a lamb in a hole uh... and the dog knew that the lamb was stuck in the hole we wouldn't have noticed but the dog knew so the dog wasn't coming away from the lamb and that's amazing if you think about it. Well, yeah, because it's almost like, how did they know how many sheep there are? Like, it brings a whole new meaning to counting sheep, doesn't it? Then- well, you know, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he was gathering and then suddenly he had to stop because the lamb was in a hole and we couldn't get out. So we mm-hmm. had to go back and that dog was called Moss. And that's one of the reasons why I called Moss Moss because of that ah, dog. It was amazing. That, that dog just stuck with you and you were like, yep, this is a yeah. good name. This is a good collie name. Yeah. So... Let's talk kind of sport collie and pet collie because obviously um, the other thing you do apart from having worked your dogs is um, FCI obedience. Now we spoke a little bit about um, obedience with um, Jodie a couple of episodes ago, but we were talking kind of UK obedience, sort of um, British competition obedience and kennel club obedience. Um, we were talking about the whole group stay situation and how it gives me palpitations um (laughs) (laughs) so you do fci obedience now fci Mm -hmm. is kind of the international sort of sports dog sports body isn't it that's where if you were competing at the world championships in something it would be an fci FCI. yeah yeah why why is fci obedience different from regular obedience or the obedience that we would see across so the big difference is that obedience actually i think was born in the uk and the kennel club so they they were the first one because they had the collies and everything so they were the first one that was starting to to do the sport when they were showing how the dog was obedient and performing certain exercises mm-hmm. the difference is that then the obedience uk i don't know how much has changed but not that much while the rest the, the fci obedience or so when when the fci started doing obedience they actually developed that obedience so they didn't left it with a few exercises they developed it to what it is nowadays so each class has between eight and ten exercises and as the, the difference between obedience and agility between the UK and the FCI is of course the number of classes that are smaller so we have seven classes I think both in agility and obedience mm-hmm. while in FCI you have the pre-beginner and then you have one two and three so even from class one the number of exercises that is not the you normally start with a beginner or, or some some places have the pre-beginner as well but mm-hmm. that is every 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 country decides so beginner and pre-beginner are from the country each country to decide the official classes are one two three so in theory you could start from one and if you have a if you are a class three handler you can you have, can start only from one so you can't go back to beginner 
-hmm. So class one, that is the first one that you have, you can officially actually compete in, has already eight exercises. That is quite big if you think about it, mm -hmm. yeah? Um, so it has, you know, class one has for Because, sorry, we've just had a little bit of audio there, so I'll just jump in quickly. So with UK obedience, there aren't as many exercises as with the FCI obedience, and there are a few... We are back, sorry. That's all right, you're back. Um, I, yeah. I filled it, don't back. worry, I filled it. So with... Um, First of all, the heel work is different, isn't it? The style of heel work slightly different. The dog's positioning it is different. So the big thing about the FCI is that every five years, they review the rules and they change exercises and they improve ah. them or they change them. So they also change criteria quite often. And that more, you know, it doesn't go with, you know, it goes with a bit of judges decided at some point that they are going to, judge in a different way and they announce it and that's going to be it so criteria change so it's quite it's quite stimulating and challenging because every five years you might have been training something for five years and then suddenly they change the thing and you have to retrain your dog okay now it's not big changes but there are changes that will challenge some dogs especially the ocd collies that have done the same thing for five years in a row mm -hmm. and then suddenly you tell them no you're not doing that anymore you're doing it different um, so I think I find it that quite good. So now, for example, we are in a in a change. So the the the, the rules should have changed at the end of 2020. Now, of course, there wasn't a world champion last year, um, so they are they are delaying the change after if it happens the next world championship. Mm -hmm. um, but the heel work is different. So they want a heel work that is a bit more natural. Uh, they don't definitely don't want to step in the heel work. They don't want the head to be too high. It can be high, but it shouldn't look like the dog is straining to hold the head high. Mm -hmm. um, so heel work needs to be smart and, and well, but it doesn't have to be as powerful and bouncy as the UK, UK obedience, for example. Mm -hmm. The big rule that's changed now is apparently, especially in Scandinavia, normally Scandinavia dictates the rule and the rest of the world follows. Mm -hmm. because they are the core of the, of the of the obedience the judges don't want the dog to touch the handler anymore so the dog can't touch the handler so you need to be able to see some space in between the dog and the handler Ooh, and I tell like the dogs that have been leaning because <laughs> one thing i'm really struggling with with dodge is getting that leg contact so if i don't have to have leg contact yay <laughs> yep so that's one thing that's been changing recently. So you'll find all these big you know, handlers, even the world champions, mm -hmm. that suddenly have to tell their dogs, now you have to get away from my leg. Don't lean on my leg anymore. So wow. yesterday I was on a webinar, for example, with one of the world champions from Finland. Five hours of webinar on obedience. It was very challenging for my brain. Um, <laughs> and she was saying that, that now they all have to get the dog away from the leg. So that's been quite challenging. Um, that's the, yeah. If you've trained your heel work so the dog is targeting their shoulder to your leg, then all of a sudden you're telling the dog not to target the shoulder to the leg, but you've just spent four yeah. or five years to... Wow, okay, so that that is very challenging for the dog and the handler. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, you know, there's, there's, there's many more exercises, like there is a sand discrimination from class 
two, for example, so straight away. So it's not something you wait to train when the dog is a bit more experienced. It's something that you have to start training straight away. Mm -hmm. There's distance control that stop um, in the recall. So you can recall the dog and the dog has to stop into a stand in class two, stand and down in class three, send around the cone, send around the corner retrieve. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot, there's a retrieve over jumps that is quite fun. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of very, you know, there's a lot of, and the technicality of it, I find that is, while in the UK, the most technical thing is the heel work. Mm -hmm. And I find that they're very technical in it, even more technical than the, U than the FCI, to the point that I know that some very good trainers for the UK obedience actually are teaching FCI people because for heel work, because the, the, the precision that the UK handler have for, for heel work is actually extreme. While in the FCI, as much as they want a nice heel work, there is technicality in each exercise. So yesterday I was looking at class three handlers, explaining their problems and try to find solutions with the Krista Helk and Krista was the, the trainer that was teaching the webinar. And we're looking at things like a dog that comes back to heel with a dumbbell and slow down the last three steps. Wow. You know, they want to solve that problem. Why is my dog slowing down those last three steps? And a, and a beginner, I will look at that dog and say, wow, that's for me, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. But no, they want speed all the way. Mm -hmm. Speed needs to be the same going out, coming in. And it needs to be, no, it doesn't have to be speed, but it needs to be, you know, the dog has to go with a purpose, you know, and the purpose needs to be power more than speed. And, and yeah, so it's very, it's very technical. Each exercise is very technical. And I know that reading the, the rules and the exercise, one would say, oh, my dog can do all that. Mm -hmm. but when you then go out and compete or you listen to this webinar, you actually realize that the technicality behind it goes past just the mm -hmm. mere exercise. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I find stimulating. Yeah, no, and I get that because obviously, you know, that my, my passion is hoopers. That's how we met. And on the face of it, oh, it's just dogs running through hoops and round barrels. But actually, there is technicality in all the sports we're doing, whether it's obedience yeah. or agility or hoopers. I mean, we did a course the other week that the dog had three hoops in front of them and they could go straight left or right. And you needed to make sure the dog was going to do the turn they needed to do at that junction because... I mean, that's obviously not a beginner course. That's as we've progressed through, but starting to give the dog options of, there was a course um, we practiced last week where the actual line for the dog was a hoop, but they needed to take the barrel. So they had to have the understanding that barrel means barrel and hoop means hoop. And I think that sometimes yeah. people kind of see dog sports as... Um, boring because of the amount of training that is needed I know that one of the things I've found hard with heel work is the precision that is needed for heel work I'm like oh my god this hurts my head yeah but the irony of that is when I was in the horse world I did dressage and I really enjoyed it and dressage and heel work are basically yeah. the same thing I agree I was a dressage as well mm. I used to do classical dressage you know, with Spanish and Portuguese horses. Um, and I that's why I like obedience, I think, because to me, that's the same just on horse, on dogs. Yeah. 
yeah yeah I think maybe because secretly I really enjoyed jumping maybe that's why I've gone more towards Ufus. but it's it's just so interesting that there that we both see that similarity from yeah. dog and horse and that kind of the different sports you can do require different skill sets from the dogs. And I mean, with your, with the collies, do you do you just stick to one sport with them or do you train them in a couple of sports or kind of what do you do? So I've done different to all my dogs because depending on the stage of life I was in. So Abigail has done a bit of obedience and a bit of sheepdog training although sheepdog training was a thing so with her mm-hmm. obedience I got most mainly to do sheepdog training but it was a very difficult dog on sheep and I couldn't give him the consistency needed so I actually started agility with him mm-hmm. and I did obedience as well but obedience wasn't the best of his you know he, he was a very difficult dog to train mm-hmm. most so agility was a good compromise so I actually went with what it was easier to do for both of us together as a team so I, I did agility with him then I got Jock while I was doing agility and I decided, okay, I was, I'm going to do agility with Jock. And then I realized that maybe I wasn't enjoying agility. I was just doing it because I was enjoying it with Moss because mm-hmm. it was our thing, but I wasn't enjoying it with Jock as much as I was enjoying it with Moss because it was my thing with Moss more than the agility itself. So mm-hmm. um, I went back to do obedience with Jock. So I'm, out, I'm training now Jock for obedience because the goal um, about the FCI is to be able to eventually organize some shows in the in the UK mm-hmm. although there are maybe no official shows but still you know we can start bringing some have a try have a go and I know with Kamal for example um we've done he's done already a have a go at FCI obedience in one of his the Beacons show so as soon as things resume to normal that's probably going to be one of the way we will try to bring you know because I know that he's very keen on 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 this as well so with the help of the people that are keen to actually try a different obedience hopefully we'll be able to so I'm getting jock ready for that um and then the puppy now Tay the goal you know I'm, I'm Obedience is my, it's my thing. So I t- try to do at least a couple of things with each colleagues I have, mm-hmm. but I'm going to train a bit of everything. So it's going to do a bit of hoopers. It's going to do a bit of agility. You know, I'm not going to aim to compete in the other sports, but I, I like to give them a lot of skills because every skill will come useful at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to recover from an injury and you can't do certain things, but they can do big circles of hoopers, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you never know how you might use that. And the independence that hooper gives without any other jumping skill or anything is actually great for the obedience. So uh, for agility, for obedience and agility, you know, it's great. I'd like to teach him to weave because I think it's a great skill for a dog to learn weaving. Yeah because it's a great way of shaping the dog brain into doing an exercise that is quite long and complex. Mm -hmm. So yes, I like to teach different things, but just because that helped me to have a lot of skills with a dog that I will need in life. And it just makes the dog brain more biddable and more, you know, Mm -hmm. shaped to to do things for me. So I'll definitely go into a bit of agility. I'm definitely going to enter some um, hooper so that I can actually Mm -hmm. train my dog. Yeah. uh, with someone some classes or something so definitely I think I think with college the more you do the better but to do good I think you should concentrate in one maximum two yeah yeah but I love one thing I love from that is that although kind of your heart is with your heart is with herding you you love the whole working sheepdog thing yes. part yeah. of your heart yeah. is very much with obedience but 
you've changed your expectations to the dog in front of you, which again is, I think, such, such an important message because, you know, when I, when I got Dodge, straight away, I've got Shepherd, right? Let's look at doing working trials. Let's look at IPO. Let's look at Mondio, something like that. But actually that's, that's not the right type of sport for him. So Hoopers was a given. He was always going to be doing Hoopers with me. I kind of, but I actually feel that for your, your pastoral breeds, for the breeds that are designed to work away from the handler, Hoopers is actually quite a good outlet for them because there is yeah. an element of independence whilst listening when you are running a Hoopers circuit with them. Definitely. My dogs love it, for example. You know, during lockdown, we've done a lot of hoopers because you can set up a lot of different things with hoopers and you can with agility because the distance that you require for jumping is bigger. Um, so definitely, you know, it gives you that kind of flexibility of space as well, I think, mm -hmm. at times. Um, but also, yeah, uh, they, they love it. The idea of circling around me is something that they adore or circling or changing direction or doing that. They love barrels. Again, yep. they love tunnels and... You know, they they just yeah. I think I think he's I think it, it's quite it's quite it's quite. I think you know they they enjoy it that kind of big outruns following hoopers around <laughs> on the left and, on the right. They, I they mean, especially it. when you. I mean, we always joke that when you put out a kind of a more technical course because obviously the courses are flying, but I when I judge like if they, it's more of a technical course, I'm like, oh, this will catch some of the collies because the collies do lean towards favoring the big flowing sweeping courses rather than the ones that are maybe a bit more technical and they may have to listen yeah. to the handler a bit more rather than just going yeah I know where I'm going I'm fine yeah that is true that's true and I think as well like because obviously you you got the puppy and the the puppy was very much planned wasn't it you'd been yeah yeah, I was going to get another dog by the end of last year or the beginning of this year. Mm. And I'm very picky um, from where I get my dog. Uh, independent from lines, there are a lot of lines I would like, but I'm very picky to where my puppies are coming from. I want the parents to be health tested. I want the parents to be working dogs. Um, but at the same time, I want their lines to be also sport lines somewhere. Mm -hmm because I need to know that there is the ability of doing sports that is not always, you know, not every work in line will actually be good enough to do sports for stamina, head, head you know, pressure and other things. Um, so there are a few people in the UK that I will get a puppy from and most of them, there are some British people as well, but most of them are friends actually that I know because they are continental and I'm not being judged toward English, but you know, when you have continental friends, you just stick together a bit more because yes. you've all moved and you all That's have that enough. kind of, <laughs> you have that kind of, you know, you have to adapt to the new, the new country. And I'm, I'm friends with a lot of Swedish, Finnish, uh, Germans and other mm. Italians. And yeah, you have that kind of connection. And I, and because they, I find that, and that's not, again, I find that the people in the continent test more. They mm -hmm. test more. And that thing has improved a lot in the UK, in the sport world. But in the sheepdog training, in the sheepdog world, in the working world, that doesn't happen as often. Mm -hmm. Shepherds, farmers don't tend to test their dogs for health issues. So for me, having you know someone that comes from the continent that I know will test, but at the same time will have working dogs, mm -hmm. it just fits together. 
So Mojok came from a German friend that is a breeder as well, and she was breeding in Germany. And she works her dogs in farms and she picks only stud dogs that are farm dogs, but they have to be tested or proved to have you know, produced healthy puppies. Yeah. Um, and so Tay came from a Swedish friend. And again, she comes from, she has all lines that come from this, this, con this country because they're all sheep and um, Scottish lines, but she also tests. So the puppy, I was, I was um, in, in world with her since last lockdown that I was going to get one of the lines that they have in the farm. Um, and this is the third litter they actually, so the, it's, it's a farm, it's a family. So they all have their own dogs. Mm -hmm. So the family had three litters last year, one from her father-in-law, one from her fiance and one from her dog. So I waited until it was the right match for me mm -hmm. and and that was it so when I went in August to met the dogs but I wasn't sure I was getting one because of I didn't know if it were going to be in lockdown not lockdown I wanted to meet the puppy I didn't want to pick it with the picture and mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know if I was going to get one but then two males were available and I said I would really like to come and see them and that happened just before we went into lockdown again <laughs> so you had um, the timing last year like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went up, up and I knew it was the right one because I saw videos that I met the parents. I loved everything. Mum mm. reminded me so much of Abigail, the type of dog. So I just, I, I knew it was right, but I wanted to meet him and actually click. So the next question, and this is very much, it's a personal preference and like, it also depends on the dynamics of the other dogs you have in the house, but did you definitely want a dog? Were you always in your brain, you wanted a male over a female? What were, what were the reasons for that? I prefer males. Um, the reason for another, so I thought about a female for a while, but every time I get to choose, even in the litter, I never look at the females. I love, I love boys more, much more. I find them, I don't know, they are a bit more hard work at times, I think, but I find them more. Preach. <laughs> yeah, they are more hard work. But I find that they're more reliable. They are what they are. Mm -hmm. They don't wake up a day and they are different because their hormones have changed. <laughs> and Girls listening, yes, you can. That. We all know the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know you can spay a female, but it will still stay a bit bitchy. You know, that's what yeah. I find with females. I have three. Well, I find a male. So, yeah. yeah. Because obviously for yeah. me, like with Dodge coming along, if Dodge had been, uh, if Dodge had been a girl, if Dodge had been a bitch, I don't think I would have said yes, because I think adding another female into the dynamics, I don't think would work. But adding a boy in, he just slotted yeah. in really easily. We had one other male at the time who was neutered and it was okay. But it's funny because I grew up with a mixture of dogs and bitches. My dad always preferred to get bitches. That was what he he always said that girls made better guard dogs and I don't know if that's true that was just his kind of thing that girls were better at looking at yeah. after home and looking after which I guess would make sense because they're used to looking after the pups and that kind of thing no scientific backing on that but I, do, yeah. I always find it interesting to find if out of choice would you go for a girl or a boy I'm now from experiencing boy from puppy I can definitely say boys are harder work. 
than the girl. girls are. I think girl puppies are easier. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Female I don't know. I. Yeah. But, I don't know. I think it was very easy, but yeah. Because all my girls were super easy, but then I'm like, but is that just because Dodge is a shepherd? So it's, it's breed as well as sex. But I, I just find it interesting that some people tend to deliberately go for one or another. And some people are like, well, it's just whatever dog comes along at the time, you know, I'll get that. Um, one thing for me is actually a working relationship as well. I prefer to work boys. I find them stronger and I go for lines that are quite strong. So they're not soft dogs, but I find that I'm not, I'm not a very soft handler and not in a way that I use harsh methods, but I got my temper. So I tend to get frustrated myself. I know, mm -hmm. you know, if some, not, not towards the dogs, but towards myself, I can't get something. And, and I find that boys, boys are fine with it yeah and and they'll just go okay when you're done tell me and i will carry oh, on God, she's been but i find <laughs> i don't want to stay well, the girls are more different. italian my darling but <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly no i i do actually yeah i concur with that because like with oh. Munch, if i'm getting cross munch would be like oh no mum's cross is she cross with me whereas dodge goes oh she's being dramatic again and like couldn't care less like yeah yeah and yeah. we and all, yeah it's not about harsh handling it's it's that when you get frustrated with yourself your natural demeanor changes and the girls can be more sensitive yeah. to that so i do think that's yeah that's like we're not saying that we're it's harsh handling with the boys that's not a thing just in case anyone wants to try and misquote anything at the moment i think <laughs> it's very annoying that i have to say that but i feel it that is. i do need to just reiterate we are not yeah. saying that it, it's about being hard on the dog i think with the boys it's very much you need the rules with the boys and it's very black and white. If I've just asked you to sit, I need you to sit. If I've just asked you to be in a down, I need you to do that. Whereas with the girls, I was always like, sit, have you done it? Oh, okay. Like, but again, I think that's the breeds of dog we've got as well. It is definitely the breeds. It is definitely the breeds, I think. But I think the boys have that kind of, I find that in in border collies, even working sheep, the boy has that more, you know, th they have that better push, that better stamina, the better strength, I think. Probably is the testosterone, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I find they're stronger, but in body as well. So I, I, I like that as well. I like that they're bigger, I like that they're stronger. Um, so it, it's it's an altogether thing, but I definitely, you know, if I've always, I would like a Malin one, I might not get one, but if I have to think on the working breeds that I haven't had, I would like a Mali, but I wouldn't go for a male. I think they're too difficult. I would go for a female. You know, I still want, you know, I, I still, and I've seen many Mali because a friend of mine breeds them in Italy. I find that the females are definitely easier than the, than the males. You know, the males have that more power in general, I think. So I think it depends on the breeds, but as a general thing, I find them even when they work, they're more intense. Mm -hmm. they're more, yeah, no, that makes sense. So or pushy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think so if people are listening and thinking, oh, but I love collies and I really want one as a pet. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking kind of 
people that are in the sports world or having them as a working dog, but people that are kind of getting it as a pet to take for a walk on a Sunday and kind of live in a family situation. It's not that it can't be done, but you do need to be aware that there's going to need to be a lot of mental and physical enrichment for that dog more so than say a Labrador. Yeah. I think so, but also you have to also, you know, we had a discussion recently in my group about, you know, if you want a dog, a, a border collie as a dog, why going for a working border collie? Mm. Why not looking for a show line? You know, and sometimes I have so many people say, oh, but they're pet dogs. They come from a pet family. Yes, but what is behind those pet dogs? It's not because they're, sell, they're sold as pets. That behind them, there is a pet genealogy. It's still working most of the time because that's the cheapest you can get. You go on a farm and you buy a farm dog. But I think that it's it's really, you know, there are you, you can actually pick a dog. Either you know someone that can give you an idea of a working dog that is a dog that is not as powerful and pushy. And there are some lines that are quiet or inside the litter, picking the one that is lazier and, and calming, but that's much more diffi difficult. Why don't go for actually, there are show lines. It's not my thing. I would never buy one, but there are show lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they maybe cost a bit more, but it will give you a dog that has not been bred for the last 30, 40 years to actually work all day. So it looks like a collie. It's quieter, it's calmer. You probably don't get into those herding behaviors and everything because it was sort of bred out of them um, or not actually, you know, not bred into them bred anymore. Or they've been bred to look pretty and look the way a colleague yeah. should look on paper rather than they've been bred because when, when you're breeding for purpose, it's very different to when you're breeding from look and temperament is going to come into it because... As you say, yeah. it needs to be able to work, needs to be a lot more independently in its thinking than a dog that's going to be used for sport that needs to be more of a team player and work with the handler. And then a show colleague, it makes sense that they would be calmer and temperament because they're going to spend a lot of the time standing around looking pretty. And that's no disrespect to show dogs, yeah. but show dogs mm -hmm. kind of stand and look pretty. <laughs> yes yeah and I, I suppose yeah I suppose you, you they still some of them are still active and they will still do sport and they will still you know they will still be active but I think because they don't need to be active probably that's not been bred into them Abigail was definitely an easier dog you know it was mm -hmm. she needed activity but she could cope with not doing activity she would love doing a job but she could have been a pet dog no problem and she was she started as a pet dog I only wanted a dog that would come with me to the horses at the beginning you know mm -hmm. she wasn't really meant to be a sport dog I just got in love of the sport after so yes you know it, it's picking that the ISDS is very very harsh on this you know on the ISDS, ISDS that is International Sheepdog Society says border collies don't make good pets mm -hmm. they state this and so they mean working border collies mm -hmm. and I agree to a certain extent, yeah. you know, it's, they, they can't just be pets. They, if they are pets and they don't do sport, they need to be trained anyway. So you need to think that at least the first year and a half or two, you need to commit to training classes. Yeah. You need to look out for behaviors that could come out 
that you need to sort anyway. Mm -hmm. And you need to give them the right activity, the right stimulation. Um, they need to be able to be off lead. So they need to be able to run around at least an hour a day. Mm -hmm. um, so they still have to be active, even if they don't do a sport. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what, though? I really appreciate your honesty on that and also your bluntness, because I think a lot of the a lot of people get dogs because we all do it. We the first thing, the first reason you get a breed of dog is because you like the look of the dog, because as humans, as animals, we like things that are aesthetically pleasing and once you have a dog that you like the look of that tends to be the type of dog you go for i mean even as much as chihuahuas and german shepherds are very different as breeds the colorings of my dog i definitely have a color palette that my dogs follow you know i know some trainers that only have ginger dogs or red dogs i know some that really like yep. white dogs or black dogs or you know, even with horses, I know people that would only have bays or would never, ever have a bay and would only have a gray. So the aesthetic of a dog does come into it. But this is where when people are looking at purchasing a dog, they need to do the research on what the dog is bred for. And this is why I've been going into the breeds of the podcast this season, because we are actually doing, um, I'm speaking to Bryony in a few episodes about Hunterways. So I'm glad you mentioned them because again, they're a yep. breed that some people are getting them for pets. And I would argue they're really not a pet breed. Like, no. And they're loud. No. Nope. <laughs> they're very vocal. And they cross them with Kelpies and Collies. <laughs> and then they sell them as pets. The one I saw today was, um, and this is in America, but the cross I saw today was, um, Sharpe Cocker Spaniel. And I was like, what? Just, just white. And some of the crossbreed, you know, I I don't completely disagree with and, and I'm I'm all for a mongrel, but I've seen a lot of dogs that are being crossed with collies that why are we crossing this with a collie? It doesn't need to have collie in this at all. And I think no. people think that by crossing a collie with another breed, you're going to get an easier dog. You're really like you're rolling a dice. <laughs> yeah, that's not genetic. That doesn't how, how genetic works. I'm really into I'm, I'm really watching to genetic. I love genetic. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's not really how genetic works. And yeah. It's, um, you know, you'll, you'll get everything is like, is like, yeah, it's a mix between. So you'll get, I've seen collies cross with beagles. Why would you want that cross? Um, yeah. Because the thing I is, don't know. You, I, mean, I think the only. Sorry, if you get the positives from that, you kind of go, okay, cool. But collies and beagles are bred for very different jobs. Um, yeah. The one that I know is, aesthetically as beautiful is um german shepherd crossed husky but actually mm -hmm. when you look at the jobs those two breeds are for originally you're breeding something that is gonna have and this this isn't meant to offend anyone and please don't be offended but you're almost breeding bipolar because you've got a dog that wants to guard and stay close but also wants to run and be away and think independently which are very polar opposites so what why yeah. would you cross a beagle with a collie like i don't understand 
No, no. I've the, the the most difficult dog I've ever trained is a cross between a collie and a Labrador. Both working types. I think that's just for for sport. Don't get me wrong. If you mm. want a dog that doesn't stop working a second, and it gives you everything, get a cross between a collie and a lab, where both are working. But don't get it as a pet, because they are you know they're even worse than the collies, the pure ones. The amount of work they need and the amount of exercise they need because again gun dogs labradors especially if it's come from a working lineup they're going to be out all day they're going to be working all day they're designed to go running off find whatever animal has been shot and retrieve it back to the person like they have a job again that requires them to have a certain amount of independence in their thinking that they can problem solve for themselves of Oh, where did I see that duck go down? Oh, right. Okay. I need to find it. So yeah, crossing a lab with a collie and putting it in a pet home is kind of a recipe for disaster, really, isn't it? Yeah. And that bipolar thing that you said, I've seen it very much. You know, mm -hmm. they sometimes act like a collie, but then they remind that they're Labradors and they get a bit like, ooh. Because obviously, <laughs> like, be like... well, we believe that Munch is lab staff, which is quite a cool mix. Um the staffy kind of gives you a bit of tenacity, but also gives you that little bit more of kind of pet dog rather than working. Um, I always joke that Munch was kind of a working machine that also thought with her stomach. So it made yeah. it easy. Um, and yeah. now she's older. I mean, she basically lives on the couch. That's what she does. She's she sleeps nearly all day. She'll go for a little walk and she'll sleep. If we want to do a bit of training, she will, but she's not bothered now. When she was younger, yeah. she really wanted to work and train. And I think yeah. the other thing, when you're looking at dogs and looking at breeds of dog, like you need to do your research on what you're getting into because there are traits that will come through that every dog is an individual. But when you're looking at certain breeds, you know you're going to get certain elements in it. And Collies like to chase, collies herd. And I think a lot of people don't- Obsessive. Very obsessive. Um, our boys, so one of the things I remember Mac used to do, he would lay by the shoes in the house because everyone used to come in the house, take their shoes off, the shoes would be in a pile. He would, not guarding them, but he knew that if you were gonna leave, you had to go to the shoe pile. So the best way to keep all the people in the house was to keep them away from the shoe pile. <laughs> Which is oh. really clever, but, oh my God, he would cry and cry and cry when anyone went to the shoe pile because it meant someone was leaving the house. And yeah. I mean, him as well, he used to lay on the landing a lot. If I was upstairs on the computer and dad was downstairs watching telly, he would lay on the landing so he could see both levels. He only truly relaxed and went to sleep when everyone was in the same room together. And that's <laughs> what we're coming uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't hear the last one. So I said that that has to have come from somewhere. That has to be something that was genetically in Yeah. Him, that all the peoples needed to be in the same place together. Yeah, that's the control freak attitude that I was saying about. Jock is the same. He's very, and some have him more than others. 
And Jack is a proper control freak. You know, he's he's obsessive, and he's he's, he's a, you know you met him. He's the easiest dog in the world. I'm not saying he's a difficult dog. You know, he's most reliable dog I have. Mm-hmm. He's the easiest to train, although he gets a bit crazy at times. Wow. Um, but he's an obsessive character with with you know with control freak attitude. So he has to control everything, and he's not mean. But he has to take away every toy that the other dogs have all the time. So I have to control that because the puppy is chewing something and just take it off the puppy and looks at you like I've done it. Or he has to control the interaction between other dogs. So he has to be always in there. Um, in the, on a walk, he's like that as well. So I have to tell him, no, 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 those dogs are minding their own business. And he doesn't want to be mean at them. He just wants to control. You know, mm-hmm. I have to control what they're doing because they're out of control. And if a dog is chewing something, one of the cats is doing something, he comes and tells you. They're doing something. Oh, I so remember space. you actually and your cat was doing something and you were like, what's the cat doing? He's been, he is, he's, exactly. he's a snitch, isn't he? He comes and grabs. Yes, yes. He's like, mom. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday woke me up. I just fell asleep during the webinar because I, it, it was really five You're hours along. Yeah, so I fell asleep a second and he actually woke me up and I was like, why are you waking me up? Finally, actually, I'm having a nap. And then the puppy was chewing his own coat that was left on the chair. He woke me up because he was chewing the coat and he knew that he wasn't a toy. So he doesn't come and tell you when he's chewing something that he can chew. He comes and tells you when he chooses, he's chewing something that he knows he can't chew. So that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like that's very impressive. And it kind mm. of makes you go, Oh, that could actually be really useful. Like, I'm, I'm thinking yep. that there's going to be parents listening, going, "Can we get the collie to keep an eye on the children?" We're not advising that because actually, kids and collies needs a very, a very careful balance because children move very quickly. They're very squeaky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, their movements quite erratic. And for dogs that are very visual, that that can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. And every time I stop going on those groups now, because every time someone asks in the general group of what a collie is, what do you think about collies and kids? And then you have the 25, 30, 40, 50 people that say, oh, they're great, best thing I've ever done. But then there are 200 that won't tell you that actually they're having many problems so that it, it, it is possible. I'm not saying it's not possible. A lot of people had kids and college, but the management you have to have the first six, eight months is mm. massive. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of management because otherwise, yes, otherwise, again, they go self-employed and they think that kids are great to chase and herd and nip and, and move around. You know, they becomes their little job to do. And so it's, yeah. children will will move away so it's a reinforcing behavior for the collies they oh, are yeah. practicing what is very natural because one thing that i think people don't understand is that herding does come from the predatory sequence it is yes it is a predator thing we just took these dogs and we bred them and kind of tapped into that for a purpose but if we're not giving them the outlet for that part of the predatory sequence, that's when you can end up with problems. Yeah, and there is both to me outlet and control in a way that there's not just outlet, there is also some sort of control. So, you know, it's not because you actually give them an outlet, they will stop chasing things. Mm -hmm. You have to also train 
to be you know there is something that moves but you come back to me anyway yeah, yeah. and or you stop halfway there so you know it's not like for the sheep you give them an outlet yes but also you control their behavior so you need they need to learn to come away they need to learn to stop they need to learn to go left and right so yes outlets is important but also teaching control on the movement is very important so they need to learn self-control and control so in a way that you need to be able to stop that sequence mm-hmm. when you need it yeah exactly that. and that's to me what is difficult to do for a normal trainer that doesn't understand the breed is how do i train that control when a dog is so driven by movement so that's where a normal trainer i think struggles because doesn't understand them to the bone you know they don't it doesn't know how to work and break that sequence because growing up, I had two collies. We had, um, Shep was the original one. Of course, we had a collie called Shep. It was the 80s. They were all called Shep in the 80s. Um, <laughs> and then the next one was Mac, who I had as a teenager. But just because I've lived with collies previously that were kind of more pet collies, now I know what I know. We were actually quite lucky with them. And I think that, they were kind of my dad's dogs rather than as much as they lived in the household they were very much my dad's dogs whereas the poodles were the fa- the family dogs you know they like everyone played with them and i think that people sometimes maybe grew up with collies um as kids and they that now as an adult they don't understand that the dynamics of a household are different um also where you're getting your dogs from is different. As you say, if you are thinking of getting a collie as a pet, go for more show lines, look at, look at that. But I feel like we've kind of, hopefully we've talked some people out of getting collies and that wasn't the intention of the episode. But if it does make someone go, maybe a Spaniel would be better or maybe, I don't know, a Bichon would be a better pet, then... I think our job here is done because I love a collie, <laughs> but actually it's the one breed. My husband has said I'm not allowed. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the one breed in our house is a collie. I'm not allowed one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's enough for everyone. You know, my partner, for example, she has tollers mm-hmm. and you know, she's, you know, I, I keep joking about the fact, oh, I'm going to get you a ginger collie because she likes her gingers. No, and, she doesn't need no, a red one. She doesn't, no. So she doesn't want it. She just says, no, 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 you can keep and manage and train your own collies. They need more work because the tollers in comparison don't need as much work as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a border collie, you know, for everything. They don't have, yeah, they might have a bit of prey drive on, on animals, but it's not as strong as when a collie decides to chase something. So yeah, they're not for everyone. They, they are hard work and you need to understand how their little brain works. So, mm-hmm. you know, they went all through the phases of looking at cars, looking at shadows and looking at things that were not there, but he thought they were there. But I know how his brain works and I got him out of it in two weeks. Yeah. But you need but, to know, otherwise you're, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is as well, you're, you know what you're looking for. You're seeing those subtle signs, whereas people that haven't had collies before or maybe even trainers that haven't really looked for look or worked with a lot of collies you don't even necessarily have to have owned one but you see there are certain things that 
it's tiny little details in certain breeds that you can go, oh, need to keep an eye on that. Whereas other people might go, oh, they were just looking at the car, it's fine. No, no. It's one of the reasons why if Dodge is looking at saying and he seems relaxed, that's fine. But if he, what I call laser eyes, and you understand what I mean when Shepard's laser eye, I need to interrupt that very quickly because that's the start of the sequence for him to go into what I refer to as full shepherd, which is very dramatic and no one needs it. Um, and Because <laughs> collies have the laser eye as well. That's how they make yeah. the move. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I think people can kind of miss that a little bit. So for, for any trainers listening that have maybe got some collies on their books and they're thinking, oh, I'm not sure... Where can people find you, Martina, to to get some kind of advice and help? Because you are people like I have to say, if if I have a collie problem, you're my kind of one of my first ports of call. And I've got lots of trainers that are very experienced with collies, but there's yourself and obviously Lisa Jordan, who I work very closely with. If it's a collie problem, I would ask one of you because you know the breed. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? So my business is called Rolling Pulse Dog Training, and I have both the website and the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Also, you're very welcome to my uh, Borders Brilliant Brain group, where I have a lot of trainers in there as well. Some of them are actually moderators for my group as well. They're friends, fellow trainers that have collies. So we just help each other. I really know, you know, that's the mentality of, of where you're coming from as well, is helping each other as trainers you know, not fighting against each other, but actually helping each other. Um, so I'm very, you know, I'm very happy if, if, if trainers wants to come into the group and, and ask for help or, or have a look around, look at my webinars or ask me questions. I get a lot of, ta- a lot of trainers coming to me and ask me. Mm-hmm. And if they feel that they can't do it, then they will refer to me. So I get a lot of referral from other trainers as well. Because I so think those are the two places. I think it's important for trainers to remember that as much as we are dog trainers, we can't and dogs are dogs at the end of the day they all are all fundamentally one species but the differences within those species are massive and you can't own every breed you can't own every type so when you find trainers that have a niche of a breed oh my god use that resource like learn from them and As you say, working together, you know I'm all for trainers working together. It's something that Hooper's world is yeah. about um, and kind of coming together as a community to support each other and a bit of teamwork. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I'm happy to help other trainers understanding a bit more cool. if so they have you- a client that they struggle with. Yeah, so it's Borders Brilliant Brains is the Facebook group. Is that right? Yeah, the yeah. group. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It's that is growing massively. Very scary. <laughs> it is, but it's, the reason it's growing is because it's so awesome. So if you have a collie, if you're thinking about getting a collie, if you have a friend that has a collie, get them into this group because it's it's just a super helpful group and i love it um martina thank you so so much for joining me today um apologies to the listeners that there was some audio the internet gods were not playing fair today that's not our fault (laughs) but i hope you enjoyed listening and until the next episode guys you can find my dogs on instagram minx chihuahua and at dodge shepherd 
And remember, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock. And I will catch y'all next time. Take care, guys. Bye. For more information on Hoopers, where to find classes and Canine Hoopers World Instructor courses, find us on Facebook, like our page, join our free group, Canine Hoopers World. You can follow us on Instagram and we're also on Twitter at Canine Hoopers. Check out our website, www.caninehoopersworld.com. Remember, Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited.